thank you so much for joining us uh, here this morning. And uh, if you're a guest visiting with us, uh, please do stay after the uh, the service today. We got plenty of food back there. I actually changed my message title uh, today. I'm not speaking on forgiveness. We're speaking on temptation. It's all the stuff that's back there. Anyways. No, just kidding. <laughs> We have, uh, if you're just joining us, we, we just started a, a new series on uh, elements. And these are elements of the Christian life, of the Christian faith. And, um, you know, God has, a, has a, a very important way of laying things out in Scripture for us that helps us understand how important certain things, doctrines, are in the Word of God. And so far we've covered about joy. Uh, What is joy? Uh, We looked at last week about grace. And today we're going to look at uh, the idea of forgiveness and how God describes forgiveness in the Word of God. And, you know, preparing for this message, I did an internet search on forgiveness just to see what the internets had to say about forgiveness. And as I searched, it yielded 80 million results of what forgiveness is or how people define forgiveness. Uh, I read articles about uh, from what doctors have said to lawyers to even what atheists uh, say about forgiveness. Believe it or not, atheists actually practice forgiveness, which completely goes against what uh, God says, because if they don't believe in a God, then how can they even believe in forgiveness? So uh, there's many, many things that... uh, uh, what people think about what forgiveness is. Um, and through all that, I found that forgiveness plays an intricate role in all of our lives. Whether you are a believer in Christ or you're not a believer in Christ, um, all of us have either experienced forgiveness or we um, use that word forgiveness very loosely in our vocabulary. All of us have an idea of what forgiveness is, whether it be through the Word of God or from what culture has maybe uh, said what forgiveness is. Um, In an article published by John Hopkins Medical states that chronic anger puts you into a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. They say those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. But forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. A survey done by the Fetzer Institute finds that 62% of American adults say they need more forgiveness in their personal lives. Another study by John Hopkins Medical stated that those who forgive tend to be more satisfied with their lives and have less depression, anxiety, stress, anger, and hostility. People who hang on to grudges, however, are more likely to experience severe depression and post-traumatic stress disorder as well as other health conditions. Walter Glannon in his book, Defining Right and Wrong... In brain science, speaking of unforgiveness, says this, that prolonged trauma literally eats protective layers in the brain that can be seen by MRIs. So this is what the world has to say about unforgiveness or forgiveness. Practically, everybody of us has heard this word, and we all use it in our vocabulary, 
And so there are a lot of misconceptions about what forgiveness is or what unforgiveness is. Such as forgiveness is apologizing or I can't forgive unless I forget. Or I just forgive you or that forgiveness has to be a feeling. You see, the world knows that forgiveness must be part of our lives. I mean, even atheists practice forgiveness. But why don't we forgive? Why do we hold on to grudges? Why do we hold on to releasing forgiveness to others? More importantly, do we know why we should forgive or how we are to forgive? Again, I cannot stress the importance of knowing Christ and knowing God through his word. And as Paul prayed uh, for the church at Ephesus, uh, he made this prayer. And he says in Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we uh, get to spend around your word. And as we consider this element of forgiveness, Lord, we have so many thoughts and so many things that have have taught us and, and indoctrinated us on what forgiveness is. And Lord, I know in my own personal life that I have not exercised forgiveness the biblical way. And Lord, I pray as we look into your word, help us And teach us exactly what forgiveness is according to your word. Not according to our standard. Not according to the world's standard. But from what you say. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning that um, are harboring unforgiveness in their heart. Lord, I pray that you release them from that. I pray, Lord, that they would understand what forgiveness is. I pray for those that need to be forgiven. Lord, maybe they, they're, they're suffering through some, some trials and difficulties now and of some past experiences, and they feel that they have not been forgiven in those sins. Lord, I pray that you speak to them. Help them experience your love and grace and forgiveness in a real way. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your forgiveness towards us. And we ask all this in your name. So let's go ahead and look here at this element of forgiveness, because uh, I think it's important, the key to forgiveness. And the Bible is very clear on understanding what the key is to forgiveness. Um, I know this may sound very elementary, the, the verse that we're going to look at, you know, but evidently, even in the church at Ephesus, Paul had to remind This church remind this group of believers of what forgiveness really is. I mean, the Holy Spirit had to remind them exactly what forgiveness is. So here's the command that uh, tells us about what forgiveness is. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We know that. You know that. I mean, we, we all know that. We all know that, that, that God forgave us in Christ. We know that. I mean, this is, this is elementary 101 here. We understand this, that, that Christ forgave us, that God forgave us. But we don't get that. Why don't we get that? Well, simply because the key to understanding forgiveness is to understand the way Christ has forgiven us. 
We don't understand true forgiveness till we understand the way that Christ has forgiven us. You see, we all look at this understanding here as when we think of Christ and we, we understand, yeah, he died on the cross for our sins. I mean, we've, we've heard the stories, we sit in Sunday school, we've read the picture books. We understand that. But it doesn't register in our minds, it doesn't click in our hearts. Why? Because we don't really know Christ all that well. Because the closer that I draw to Christ, the more that he exposes of what I am on the inside. And as I draw closer and closer to him, I see myself for what I truly am, and that is I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who sins against God. I'm a sinner who is selfish. I'm a sinner who is proud. I'm a sinner who is boastful. I'm a sinner who is unkind. I'm a sinner who is hard-hearted. I'm a sinner who is unforgiving. And as I draw closer to Christ, His forgiveness pours out from Him. And He says, I forgave you all. I forgave you of everything that you are, that you were a sinner. And this is what the gospel has, the impact that it has upon our hearts and our lives to understanding what forgiveness is, that Christ forgave us all of our sins. So to understand forgiveness is to understand the way that Christ has forgiven us. And all of our stories, even though they may be different, they all come down to that sinner truth, that we're all sinners, and that Christ forgave us of our sin. I want to show you a few other things here about forgiveness. So let's define forgiveness. If we are going to understand forgiveness, then we need to define what forgiveness is. What do we mean when we use that word forgiveness? I mean, we just sometimes throw it around so loosely. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. We know that Christ in God has forgiven us. But what exactly does that word mean? Well, I want to give you a few things here. Forgiveness is not the same as apologizing. An apology is an inadequate, humanistic substitute for forgiveness. An apology elicits an inadequate response from the offended. For example, what you really said hurt me. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. No, it's not okay. You hurt me. We have to understand that forgiveness is not an apology. It's not the same as apologizing. It's not okay. We both know it's not okay. Just saying I'm sorry doesn't get the job done. An apology is not the same as forgiveness. So let's see what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. Let me give you a few verses here. Jeremiah 31, 34. God here is describing the new covenant that he is going to make with his people. Notice what he says here. He says, For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Let's look at another verse here. Isaiah 43, 25. He says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. What are the key phrases in both of these verses? 
I will not remember their sin no more. And he says, I will not remember your sins. I will forgive their iniquity. I'll blot out their transgressions. I will not remember their sins, God says. Based upon what God says just in these two verses, he's speaking about forgiveness here. these, These key phrases here, I will not remember these two phrases here. We can understand that forgiveness then is a declaration And God is declaring something to His people. And when God forgives us, He is making a declaration to us. And what is that declaration that He's saying? Well, He's basically saying that forgiveness is a declaration and forgiveness is not a feeling. So we know that forgiveness is not a feeling because if God's forgiveness was based upon a feeling, then we would know, we would never know that we've really been forgiven. And so God says, I'm going to declare to you that you are forgiven, and I'm going to prove that by how? By not remembering your sins. So God makes a declaration to say that he forgives us. And that's a declaration to say that we are forgiven. And we then have to, if we are going to practice true biblical forgiveness, God is our model. So we have to follow that model in forgiveness. So what is the model then? God's declaration says, I will not remember. So what do you think our model should be? I will not remember. Okay. So this is a promise then. God makes a declaration and we need to follow his model by making a declaration. And it's a promise. It's a promise to say, I will not remember your sins, your transgressions, what you did to me. So God goes on record to making this promise. And this is what's so awesome about God. Because since God makes a declaration, we know that God is going to be faithful and true to that. Because he's not going to bring it back up. And he's saying, I'm making a declaration, I'm making a promise that I will not remember your sins. So this is a promise. We call this declaration a promise. So forgiveness is a promise. Now by looking at Jeremiah 31, 34, those verses in 43, 25 in Isaiah, God makes this promise. I will not remember your sins and I will not remember your sin no more. That's a promise from God. So if you as a believer in Christ, you're struggling in in things that maybe uh, things are being brought back up in your life. You know, you can go to God and you can say, God, you know, you don't remember my sins anymore. I stand clean and I stand forgiven before you. And I know that because I have the blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed for me. So these are promises not to remember. Let's look at a few things here. Is not remembering and forgetting the same thing? What do you think? Yes or no? No, it's not. It's different. Forgetting is passive, okay? It just happens. For example, when was Napoleon defeated at Waterloo? Uh, Don't remember that one. Some of you were like, who's Napoleon? (laughs) It's passive. It just happens. Many times my wife tells me something. She says, I told you this six times. I don't remember. (laughs) It's passive, okay? It just happens. 
Not remembering is active, okay? It's something that you do on purpose. Can God forget anything? No, he can't. Why is that? Well, because God is omniscient. He remembers everything. He can't forget anything. God knows everything. He knows of the sins that we've committed. But remember, God says, I will not remember these sins that you have committed. I will not remember your sin no more. It's a declaration. And so God forgets nothing. But when God forgives, he does not forget. So here we find when God forgives, he promises not to remember. What do we mean by this? Let's look at a few passages of scripture that I think should help us understand. When God says, I'm not going to remember your sins. Let's see what God's word has to say about this. In 3 John, uh, verse number 10, John writes, So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Speaking of diatrophies. Talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. This man Diotrephes was evidently, he was a church leader, a pastor, an elder. But this man, he wanted to run the entire show. And in fact, he did some horrible things. He talked nonsense. He was not content. He put people out of the church that didn't agree with him. And Paul says, when, I, when John says, when I come... I'm going to bring this up, what he is doing. In other translations of the verse, we see the word of remembering used in different ways. For example, in the NIV, he says, So if I come, I will call attention to. KJV, I will remember. Or in the ESV, I will bring up. He's saying, I'm going to bring this stuff up of what he is doing. Let's look at another verse here. Psalm 25, verse number 7, says, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. The psalmist says, Remember not, God. Do not remember the sins that I've committed in my youth. Let's look at another verse. Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand... But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This is really an awesome verse because I want you to think about it. Look what he says. If you, O Lord, should mark down the iniquities. Remember when you were a kid, you know, and you used to do things like marking semi-trucks going by or how many times the preacher said, and, uh, and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. You're marking it down. God's, the, the psalmist writes and he says, Lord, if you were to mark down all my iniquities... Who could stand before you? Wouldn't be a possibility. But he says, but with you, there's forgiveness. God does not up there marking them down. That's five, six, ten, twenty. He's not marking them down. There's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not keeping a record of all wrongdoings. Look at another verse here, Psalm 79, 8. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. In the NIV it says, do not hold against us our former iniquities. So remembering then is bringing up the issue 
And it determines then how I'm going to relate to you and how I will treat you. That verse that we looked at in 3 John, John is saying, I will bring up those things that Diotrephes is doing. And I'm going to deal with them. But here in Psalm 25 verse 7, he says, Lord, do not bring up those things. Do not bring them up and determine how you're going to treat me. God says, I'm not going to remember them. God says, I've forgiven you. And even though God doesn't forget, he's not going to pull out the book and say, uh-huh, right here, June 8th, 2017, you fell asleep in church. Right here. <laughs> Got it down. Some of you just woke up. <laughs> God says, I'm not going to remember them. I'm not going to bring them back up. It's a declaration and it's a promise from God. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't bring up your old sins, your old man, who you were before you knew Christ? Absolutely. Because I wouldn't be able to stand before him. So God makes this promise. He makes it a declaration. So let's look back here, defining forgiveness. Forgiveness is a promise. It's not remembering and forgetting. Okay? It's God does not forget. He remembers. Okay? But he does not bring that stuff back up. So when God forgives, he promises not to remember. What do we mean by this? Okay? It's not bringing back up those old sins, those things that somebody has done against you. And so God goes on record and he declares this promise. He says, I'm not going to remember these things. I'm not going to bring them back up against you. So it's choosing not to remember. It's choosing not to bring it up to be used against you. So the phrase forgive and forget, well really that's not true. It's I'm going to choose not to remember. I'm choosing not to bring it back up. You see when we choose to forgive we make a promise. We make a declaration. Because if we're going to follow God's model... And God says, I'm not going to remember these things. I'm not going to bring them back up. I'm not going to use these things against you on how I will relate to you and how I'm going to treat you. Then we too, when we forgive, we are making a declaration. We are making a promise to say, I'm not going to bring these things back up. I'm not going to use these things on how I treat you or how our relationship will continue. You see, we make a promise, we make a declaration to remember. We make this promise with them. If you forgive somebody, and then six months down the line, you say, you know, you remember you what you did. You didn't forgive them. You make a promise. You make that promise with other people when you forgive. Meaning, when you forgive somebody, six months down the road, you're not on the phone, you're not on... Uh, Facebook, you're not whatever, bringing that stuff back up. That's not forgiveness. Even though you said it with your mouth, you really didn't exercise it in your heart because you're bringing it back up. And you make that promise with yourselves. You say, what do you mean by that? Meaning the fact that you are brooding over it. You're thinking, you're bringing it back up in your mind. You're going, you st- maybe you're walking around, and you're doing something. And you start thinking about that person. Oh man, you know, I I forgave him. But you know, he really, yeah, he really did. That's not forgiveness. You're brooding over it. You're not keeping your promise. 
You see, we choose not to bring it up ever again to use them against them. That's a promise. We choose not to bring it up ever again with other people. That's gossip. And we choose not to bring it up ever again with ourselves. Forgiveness, however, is not to this extreme. I'll be a good example of this. When I was, oh, maybe 14, 15 years old, we had a Chevy van. It was like one of those ones with like the captain's chairs and the TV in it and the bed folds down to the back. It was cool. Okay? We, have a, we had a one-car garage there where my parents live. And there's a chain-link fence that runs alongside the, uh, the grass there. The van was parked alongside the street. My dad says, here, here's the keys. Pull the van in to the driveway. Okay. So what do I do? I get in the van. I start pulling it in. All of a sudden, I hear... (laughs) I get out. The van is hung up on the fence. The whole side of the van's all scratched. I mean, it's a mess. What do I do? I go into the house. I said... Dad, I wrecked the van. (laughs) What? So my dad comes out. He sees what I did. He gets the van off the chain link fence. My dad forgave me. But just because I say forgiveness, Dad, you forgave me. You can't ever, ever, ever bring it back up now. No. My dad used that as a teaching time. So even though he forgave me, this is what he did. He said, all right, let's get back in the van. I'm going to show you how to use your mirrors correctly. I'm going to show you not how to get... Dad, you said you wouldn't bring that back up again. Okay, That was used as a teaching time. We're talking about forgiveness here and the fact that when somebody sins against you, when somebody does something, hurts you and offends you, and you forgive them, you do not bring that back up. You do not use that and how you're going to treat them, how you're going to relate to them in the rest of their lives. He taught me some things about that. Therefore, biblical forgiveness is first and foremost a promise not to bring up the issue again as a basis of how I will treat you. Because that's exactly what God does. He says, I forgive you. And he doesn't bring it back up. So that's defining forgiveness. I want to show you a few things about truths about forgiveness. How do you handle when somebody sins against you? I mean, surely in a church like this called Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship, we would never have anybody sin against us, right? I mean, it's so pleasant here. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. Because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner, when we get close to each other, we collide. And when we collide, we offend each other. It happens. Okay? But how do we handle that? What about in your family life? I mean, surely your family's so perfect, nobody ever does anything, ever, that would hurt you, right? No. We hurt each other. Sinning against each other is what destroys relationships. But what are we supposed to do when that happens? Luke chapter 17 verses 3 through 6 says this. Pay attention to yourselves. Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent... 
you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. You see, Luke 17 uh, verses 3 through 10 gives us an understanding of how to deal with this. I really like what Jesus says here. He says, pay attention, listen, and listen attentively, because I'm going to show you how to bring restoration to your relationships that are broken. God gives us an obligation. Notice what our first obligation when someone sins against us is. Our first obligation is not to have a pity party. You see that in the text? It's not to blow up. It's not to gossip. When somebody sins against us, somebody offends us, our first obligation is to that other person. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and the entire church. No, it doesn't say that. It says you go to that person and you tell that person between him and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 through 24 says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, you're at worship, you're enjoying the worship time, and he says, And there remember that your brother has something against you? Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And likewise here in Luke chapter 17, we have an obligation. God gives the obligation for us to make the first move. Do not wait on the other person. Don't say, well, they know what they did to me. I'm just going to wait till they come here and tell me what they did. No, our obligation is to go first. In either instance, if we've offended somebody, you're to go first. If you think you've offended somebody, you go first. You are to go first, God says. That's the obligation. We need to go first. So our first obligation is to what? Look at the text. Notice what he says. If your brother sins, what does he say? Rebuke. Rebuke him. He said, Mike, oh, come on, I thought this was supposed to be Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship. It is. It's all how you look at that word rebuke. There's two uses of it in Scripture that we find. A lot of times people look at this word rebuke as we find in First Timothy, or excuse me, in Titus chapter 113. Paul uses this word in correcting the false teachers who were liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, and he says this about them. He says, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Another way we find it is 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In this way, the the word rebuke is used as almost a prosecution. Okay? Is showing them and prosecuting them to the fullest extent. Now this is the way that we like to use forgiveness, okay? Here in Luke 17, it says rebuke him. We like to come out with both guns shooting. You 
you. That's using it in prosecuting to the fullest extent. However, here in Luke 17, the word rebuke does not mean to prosecute, but it rather means to show a fault temporarily. That's so important. Because if I'm going to forgive somebody, and if they've offended me, I'm going to rebuke them. But I'm not prosecuting them. I'm not bringing down legal action upon them. I'm going to show them their fault temporarily. Do you see the difference between those two? Do you understand how important it is? Because when you pull out both guns, you're shooting and you want to prosecute, you're not getting anywhere with forgiveness. But if you go to that person to show them their fault temporarily and say, look, here's, a, here's the issue right here. This is it right here. It's four square right here. This is the issue. And we show them that fault temporarily. It moves the way for forgiveness to come. So it's important. And we choose to forgive. We choose not to bring it up. Look at the second obligation that God gives in this. Look what he says. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And then it says, and if he repents, forgive him. So once we show them, and we show them their fault temporarily, and if they repent, then we are to forgive. So this is really awesome statement because the disciples were so taken back by this. Notice what they say in the text. They say, if they sin against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith then. Because I don't even have enough faith then to forgive somebody seven times who sinned me in one whole day. Sometimes we use that excuse of saying, well, you know what? I can't forgive them because their sin is too great. Look at these circumstances that they've done. The apostles tried using this as an excuse. But look what Jesus says. He says, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Let's keep reading here. Look what he says here, verse 7 through 10. He says, will any of you who is a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty Here's another excuse that sometimes people say, well, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like forgiving that person. Jesus uses this story here, and he's trying to show us and illustrate to us. Here's this man, he has a servant, and this guy, he's out in the field. He's working. He's working hard. He's sweating, and he comes in from the field. He's sunburned, and all of a sudden, his master says, hey, get supper ready. I'm hungry. You think that servant's going to say, Oh, well, I'm hungry too. I'd like to sit down at the table and eat. Don't you think while he's preparing the mashed potatoes and gravy and noodles and all that kind of stuff? Don't you think he's going, man, this sure looks good. I wish I could sit down here and eat. But what does he do? He puts his feelings aside and he does what is commanded. The master doesn't say, oh, you poor thing. Look how hard you've been working. Why don't you just come here, sit down at my table, relax, kick your feet up. Here, here's a cigar. 
No. What does he do? He says, here, you go and prepare me the food. After I eat, then you can come in and eat. You say, what does all this have to do with forgiveness? Well, look what he says here. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? (laughs) So you also. When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. You see, sometimes, many times we think, well, you know what? I'm going to be the stronger Christian in this. I'm just going to forgive them. (laughs) And God says, whoop-de-doo. Do you think the servant could have been like, look what I've done. I've prepared you a meal. Okay. Jesus says here, when we have done even that what we have commanded, we are still unworthy servants. It is our duty to forgive. You're not doing God some great, wonderful favor by forgiving. It's only your duty to forgive. And if we are children of God, we are to be commanded to be forgiving. We are supposed to forgive. And Jesus says that we are only doing our duty in forgiving. We don't get extra credit. So when you forgive, when you choose not to bring it back up, remember there's two truths about this. Here they are. Number one, how many times Jesus forgives and how much he forgave you. Ephesians chapter 4, 32, God forgave you in Christ. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, Jesus gives us a story about the, about the, uh, the servant that owed like a billion dollars. And his master forgave him everything. And then that servant had another servant that owed him like two dollars. And he says, you better give me my money. And the guy says, I can't pay it. And he says, all right, I'm not going to forgive you of it. And he throws that guy in jail. And what happens? The guy says, you know what? You treated that servant horribly. You're a wicked servant. You did not forgive him $2 and I forgave you $2 billion? What's the deal? We need to remember how much God forgave us. How many times God forgave us when we choose to forgive And secondly, if you have really forgiven, if you have really forgiven, if I have really forgiven somebody that was asked of you, and that person repented, and we have not brought it back up, we have not sat there and and brought it up to other people, we have not sat there and thought about it in our minds, we're not bringing it up, if we have truly forgiven that person, well, it's really not the seventh time It's really not the fifth time. It's always the first time. Jesus was using this almost as an an extreme. To say, look, even if somebody were to sin against you seven times in a day, and they were to repent, you were to forgive. But really, sometimes we're only offended that first time. But because we do not really forgive them, we keep bringing it up. We've not really forgiven It's always the first time. So let's all tie all of this up and see what the goal of forgiveness should produce. Here's the last thing. The goal of forgiveness. Many times the question arises, to what extent is forgiveness to be at work in my relationships? 
Do I allow them to be a part of my life anymore? Immediate family, friends, fellow believers. Here's a few things I want you to think about. Matthew chapter 5, verse 24 says, First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Another verse says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Another verse here, 2 Corinthians 2, 5-8, through 8, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love in him. You see, forgiveness is not the end result. Forgiveness is just the beginning. The goal of forgiveness should and always be reconciliation. Because that's exactly the relationship that God has with us. You see, when we came to Christ, we came to God and we said, God, look at me, I'm a horrible sinner. I need your salvation, I need your forgiveness. God says, I forgive you, I forgive you. And we trusted Christ. And now God has now moved that relationship from being an enemy. He's now reconciled us to him through his son Jesus. And as we grow in our faith, we are continuing to grow closer and closer and closer to Him. And that's the way forgiveness is supposed to work. So if I offend somebody, and they come to me and they say, Look, what you did really hurt me. What you said really hurt me. And I repent of that. And I say, You're exactly right. I was way off, way out of line. And we move past that forgiveness. It's not like, Okay, great, we're forgiven. No, there has to be reconciliation now, and we build the relationship between each other. It's not supposed to be like, well, I forgave him, but he's going to sit on that side of the auditorium. I'll sit on this side of the auditorium because I just really don't want to talk to him. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is moving past that and being reconciled to each other. How do we do this? By imitating God. God always counters sin with more grace. Listen to what Romans 5.20 says. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 2 Corinthians 5.18-20 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So forgiveness is the beginning, and reconciliation then is the goal, the end result. What is the relationship between the two? Well, here they are. Number one, forgiveness is essentially negative. It is showing that fault temporarily. I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some contention there. I mean, you've got to go to somebody, you've got to say, this is what you did. This hurt me. There's some negative feelings there. It's, it's some contention. So it's primarily negative, but it clears away the destruction of the past. Reconciliation, then, is essentially positive. It is the rebuilding of a new and better relationship. And that's exactly what forgiveness should produce. 
when I forgive somebody or they forgive me, it says, if they hear you, you have gained a brother. Meaning your relationship should strengthen more. If it's not strengthening, if it's not strengthening, chances are there hasn't been real forgiveness. Chances are there hasn't been real repentance. So that's why it's so important to follow the biblical model of what forgiveness really is. So if somebody has offended me, I am to go to that person to show them their faults. And if they repent, I am to forgive. That is God's command from Scripture. And it's a command and it's a declaration on my part to never bring up the issue ever again in their life. So have you been exercising true biblical forgiveness? Is there somebody in your life right now, maybe God has brought to your mind that says, you know what, you have not really forgiven that person. You've not exercised true biblical forgiveness. If not, we need to heed the Holy Spirit's advice. We need to heed his word. We need to obey his word and follow exactly what he says to do and to exercise forgiveness. Let's pray together.